Welcome to the Bill Bradley Collective, America's most highly regarded sports political podcast. It is broadcast occasionally outdoors. And we are back outdoors for, I think, the first time in 2022. First time in 2020. Oh, the, yeah, first time, the first time since, like, September of 21. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, no, we, we, saw, went, we, we somehow went did it outside. We like, went very late. 2020. Yeah, we were. Insane. It was November, I think. It was very late. We were very pro global warming during the pandemic. <laughs> we, we, enjoyed, we enjoyed our fifty-five well, degree December Sunday. Let's call it a four-month hiatus. I'd say. But we are we days. are outdoors today in a chilly and overcast, but not terribly unpleasant day, as we are going to be discussing the Nalatolova Everett uh, rivalry. How are you doing, Zach? Doing well. Feels good to be back outside. I can. Smoke cigarettes like Bill Hicks during the entire podcast. <laughs> here, here. Didn't Bill Hicks die of lung cancer like 31? Yeah, that's the, that's the goal. <laughs> that, that. Well, you missed it. All right. So I got a question for you, Zach. I want to ask you about your rants because this is a, a uh, what do we call these? Rant Andrew? free. What do we call these? these uh, it's a season profile. It's season a profile. season profile. And we always are reminded that because we have a consistent pattern, we don't do uh, rants on season profile days, which is, Always news to the three of us when we arrive. Um, but we do still do Dead or Alive. It's only been that way for like a year and a half, two years. It's only been, yeah, it's only been that way since the time. beginning. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'll get it. Um, but we still do Sims, uh, the Simpsons questions and Dead or Alive because uh, we decided we were. So, Zach, in the Simpsons episode in which Homer is at Lollapalooza, okay. four musical acts are, pre- are present. One from hip hop, two alternative bands, and one from classic rock. I will give you credit if you can name three: Smashing Pumpkins, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Nope, Bachman Turner. Overdrive. No, Bachman Turner Overdrive is a different episode. <laughs> yeah, Blake, Blake <laughs> taking care of business. We've played it nine times. <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins. Yep. Oh my God, who had the the black? The nope. It was, it's hip hop, but it wasn't they, black. It's no. Oh, that I can guess it. <laughs> I have an idea. Is it Beastie Boys? No, no, no. It's like something. It's like something Asylum or something. It was Cypress Hill. Cypress Hill. Hill. Cypress Hill. Smashing Pumpkin. Cypress Hill. You're not gonna get the. uh, The other one is is a Jimmy Vigu special. Peter Frampton. Frampton, because Homer steals his, his Homer steals his inflatable pig. Right. It was supposed to be Dylan, but Dylan never got back to them. Um. And Courtney Love, I, I didn't know this. They had written a joke for Courtney Love because they wanted Hole, and then when Hole didn't respond, they asked Courtney Love because um, it says um, he said the joke was Homer. I'm a big fan. Courtney Love, thank you, Homer. Grateful, <laughs> and that joke didn't make it because the Courtney Love wouldn't show up. Oh, yeah, that's a great episode. <laughs> yeah, it's really. I good. believe they hold Lollapalooza in Cleveland. Uh, no, that's Chicago. I believe in the episode. It's Cleveland. <laughs> well, it's all in over. reality, it's Chicago. No, Lollapalooza used to Lollapalooza tours. It tours. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. And I, and I got to say, um, I don't know. Do, I I used to really like tennis and doing the research this week for for Everett and for Navratilova. Like it was kind of fun. It almost made me think, like, oh, I'm gonna maybe pay attention to the French yeah, Open this year. I'm probably not because no. the NBA Finals will be, and it's like, yeah. nah, who's got nah. time for that? So. <laughs> One of the reasons I insisted on doing this intro is because we need to celebrate the fact that Andrew has become the most important 
political sports voice. This is false. In America today. People are bending their will based on what is said by one Andrew Heron on the Bill Badley Collective. He is the Mike Boguslowski of politics and sports. You guys remember Mike Boguslowski? This might be an old reference. Channel 8, which is a local news thing here, used to have a consumer protection guy named Mike Boguslowski. And at the end, he goes, I'm Mike Boguslowski, and I'm in your corner. My father (laughs) got called by Mike Boguslowski because he was a city engineer at Seymour. And there were these homes where their... that were getting the basements were getting flooded because everybody had taken the river, the, the creek that was in the back, and filled it in so that they'd have more land. And then when it rained, the creek would overflow and go into the no basement. Shit. Right. So Boguslowski is going to says he's you know he's going to meet with my dad and he's going to put him on, and he said, uh, and you're going to have the answer for this. And my father said, okay, but I just want you to know, I think you're a jackass. And I'm going to tell you that on television. And he goes, you won't tell me that. Don't, you're going to answer my answer. He goes, is it live? And he says, yes, it's going to be live. He goes, all right, I'll be there. What time? And Boguslowski hung up the phone. <laughs> Andrew is a far more courageous and effective Mike Boguslowski because two weeks ago, something happened. Our Bryles. No, well, no, was, uh, no, it was oh, Mickelson. Mickelson. Last week. <laughs> He called shame on Art Bryles, and Art Bryles um, did not accept that <laughs> position, the offensive coordinator position. At he did not State. accept, and in fact, he mentioned Andrew. He referred to him as Andrew fucking the H guy from uh, the Bill yeah. Bradley Collective. I believe he called him by his <laughs> old name. He said that fucking ATH guy. Yeah, right. From his, the, his from old the moniker. Abbreviations. From, from the podcast. <laughs> I've, you know, made my life a living hell. Meanwhile, I ranted against... Um, the Texas decision to have DCF investigate and and, uh, and, they, and they've begun investigation. Yeah, they've already they've already cited people yeah, they, for doing it. I did not I, I did not help that situation. I have, a, I have a theory that Art Bryles listened to this podcast and went, "Well, I I can't do this. Um, it'll bring too much shame to my family. Um, I need penance for my sins." And I believe in Texas, they listened to your rant and said. Fuck that Yankee. <laughs> we're gonna penal- we're gonna penalize gay kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no. You had you had the opposite effect. Yeah, I had the opposite effect of uh, the way I often do. Finger on the pulse, man. So all right. So I spent <laughs> a lot of time watching uh boxing this weekend. There were fights both on ESPN plus and then on the zone and watched all of them. And that made me think about boxing. A couple seasons ago, probably six seasons ago, which are or four months, whichever whichever is longer, I asked you who Muhammad Ali's last opponent was, and you knew that. Who was his last victory against? And is that person dead or alive? I can see him going through the Wikipedia in his head. <laughs> um, um, the rematch against Leon Spinks. That is correct. <laughs> That is correct. That was my guess, but I thought, oh, he probably beat somebody in some kind of bizarre I, fight. But it, no, it was, it was the rematch against. Rematch against okay. Is Leon Spinks dead or alive? He's dead. I was shocked to learn he only died a couple months ago. Yeah, yeah, he died in I think November. Like, well, I was, yeah, was going to say before you started, here. I was like, Ugh. he's talking about boxing and it's a boxer, so he's dead. Yeah, he's it, dead. It's the rule well, of the we, game. We is, said that if, rule last if week. The trivia yeah, the is a boxer. He's dead. He's dead. If you had asked me in 1978, will Leon Spinks be alive in 43 years, uh, I would have taken the under 
if you said was he, would be a, would he be alive in four point three years, I would take the under. He also is the father of a, of a former middleweight champion, right? Wasn't Corey Spinks his son? I uh, yeah, right. Corey Spinks Michael was his, and him were brothers, and Corey was Leon's son. Right. Yeah. And Corey ended up briefly holding a middle yeah, uh, a minor middleweight belt. No, he was. He fought like Judah and like a unification. Fight. He had a yeah. cup of coffee where he was like a top three titleist, a welterweight, I believe. I think he's one forty seven. Oh, I thought, was, I thought it was I could be wrong. Yeah, no, it could, yeah, that I makes sense. I thought he was sense. a welter, but right because I was looking up Zab Judah, uh, a Zab Judah. He fight. fought Corey Spinks. Zab Judah fought Corey Spinks. Um, Zab Judah was a hell of a fighter. New York City man. Yeah. Listen, you guys have seen the price of gas in the last I don't know forty eight hours. I can't afford any yeah, more fucking Joe edible Biden. arrangements, man. <laughs> I got to get these no, no. questions right. Yeah. <laughs> Come no, on, this, I got to commute five days God, a week. These goddamn Joe Biden gas prices. Oh, uh. <laughs> I went to, uh, <laughs> cutting into our edible arrangement <laughs> budgets. I got to hey, I can't pay five dollars for gas and twenty five dollars. I got to rob Peter to pay Paul man. for strawberries on a stick. Uh. <laughs> Andrew, I hope you're ready to bike to work this week. <laughs> Please. All right, so can, we'll, I take, can I take yours? <laughs> we will be back uh, after the break. The introduction, right? That's what we only do. We only do an introduction. I don't know why. Do, any, any verbiage <laughs> is fine. You can say break. You can say intro. You can say whatever. It, we're coming back to the episode after Ed says what he says right. next. We'll be back in a moment to talk about uh, Martina Nalatolova and Chris Everett on the Bill Bradley Collective. Lying over the intersection of sports and politics, we are the Bill Bradley Collective. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew, Zach, and Ed. So we are going to hit the cutting edge of sports today and talk about a rivalry that began in 1975. Martina Nalatolova and Chrissy Everett, um, she was called Chrissy Everett in 75. I guess you don't call a 63-year-old woman Chrissy. I think right? she goes by Chris now. Yeah, I think I, I think she went by Chris, right? And Martina still goes by Martina. She doesn't go by Marty. <laughs> no, she never, <laughs> no, she never went by Marty. Um, but uh, Chris Everett was established first. Uh, she was the uh, number one tennis player in the world. Was she in 75? Well, she, uh, or was Billy, or she had surpassed Billie Jean King by this point. She also yeah. started at sixteen, like she was a teenage tennis phenom. Yes, when there were no in her because her father was a tennis coach, right? And there were but that was a thing for a while until they saw the incredible damage it was doing to people, like yes. Jennifer Capri, Jennifer Capriati. But the, she was one of the first that was like a teen right. sensation, yes. mm-hmm. right? She's a teen sensation, and she comes up. She immediately starts dating Jimmy Connors who was the number one male player in the world, certainly the most famous male player in the world. I don't know if he was ranked number one. Um, in 75, it's the end of Billie Jean King's career. It's the end of Margaret Court's career. And it looks like the sea is parting for Everett to win every major for the rest of time. And here shows Martina Nalatolova. So tell us a little bit about Martina Martina Navratilova comes from, at the time, uh, Czechoslovakia, not the Czech Republic or Slovakia, but a communist, I guess at the time, unified Czechoslovakia, a sterling junior amateur career. Um, By the age of 18, I believe it's the age of 18, uh, she petitions for asylum in the United States. Yep. And the United States takes her in, and she doesn't necessarily denounce or renounce her Czechoslovakian citizenship, but she's very 
she's ardently anti-communist even at that young age and i guess they have a thing where they think she's it's she's spending too much time focused on her tennis and her athletics and she should be more of you know loyal to the party to the party exactly right. she she maintained dual citizenship for a very long time she did uh no she actually she reapplied for dual citizenship in 2008 okay because into the Czech Republic. Because before that, she's she's a. If you look up her, she's, it's always an American flag next to her name. Right. Yeah. Wherever you, yeah. Yeah. Well, she, she she identified so, as an American. Yeah. She. I mean, she came here as a essentially a political refugee. No. From communist Russia. Yeah. But the the American public certainly did not take her in with open arms. I mean, every communist trope uh, that applied to women athletes. I mean, seventy. She she starts really in. Uh, well, their first ever game against each other, match against each other, was seventy-five. Seventy-six Olympics is when the East German women show up, looking like we had never seen women look like this because they were clearly steroided up. I mean, there was no testing for steroids; they were using human growth hormones. They're probably using animal steroids on, on these poor women, and it was like a, a running joke that this is what communists look like. Uh, there was this old. There's a Simpsons joke about it. Well, yeah, there, there were many, many jokes about it. There was an advertising campaign where the, it was a Russian beauty pageant. It'd say, swimwear, evening wear. And they just keep coming out in babushkas and these loose-fitting dresses looking like men. America has always handled uh, yeah. foreign countries well. Yeah, we, we, we were always so open to diversity. Um, so in, in there was a certain feeling like, well, wait a second. You don't get to take on our Chrissy because she was... I guess the athlete she reminded me of the most, I mean, in today's time would be like Sue Bird, who seemed just like the girl next door for 25, for 20 years. Like forever, she was just this. She's a a conventionally attractive. She has a very like approachable girl next door style look. She still is like in her 60s. She's She's still a good looking woman now. (laughs) Yeah. But, um. But yeah, I mean, she was clearly like, this is what tennis players should look like. And Martina came over. And was athletic, and right. built, and strong, and they were like, "This is not how Americans look. This is not how tennis players look." I mean, she was really the first one to look like that. Yes, and that doesn't really because <laughs> in the latter part of the seventies until about the turn of the eighties, it's still Everett's tour. She's still the, she's still the dominant force. It's not until Martina Navratilova uh, hooks hooks up with. I guess you could say this uh, professionally and perhaps personally. Yeah, it was personally. <laughs> a, one, a one Nancy Lieberman. Nancy, no relation uh, to Joe Lieberman, which no. I did check into. No. <laughs> yeah. Because then, Nancy uh, Lieberman does not seem like a good person no, in the way well, that Joe Lieberman doesn't well, seem Nan- like a good Nancy person. Nancy Lieberman was the most famous woman basketball player of the time. Absolutely. I mean, at a time when there were very few famous women basketball players, she was pretty famous. One of the things about this rivalry, which we haven't really got into, is um, the friendship that also went along with it, which is something you don't see in men's sports. Um, but when Martina was uh, being coached by by Nancy Lieberman, uh, Chris Everett talked about like they did not speak during that time really because right. Nancy Lieberman was like, "You have to hate Chris Everett. You have to hate her. You know, you you can't be friends. What do you mean you're going out to dinner with her? You have to hate her. You have to beat her." And right. they didn't talk for years. The other thing that happened was, but well, one of the things Lieberman did do was really work on Nalatolova's body in terms of getting her in really good shape. The thing that 
you know, and, and I read a lot about this, uh, and both both at the time and now. Um, and and the thing that gets missed, I think, in both, is women's tennis had become god awful boring because it was endless two handed backhands from the baseline over and over and over until somebody made a mistake. It was like it was like watching somebody hit a ball against the wall. Eventually, yeah, the guy's gonna miss the ball, but, but that's it. This is. It's a little harder to talk about when you're, you know, four white guys. But Martina Navratilova's, like, body when she first came, from what I read, she was, like, short and stocky. Well, not short, but she was just, like, stocky. She was overweight. Yeah, she was, like, she's kind of just a stocky tennis player and then really, like, grew into this very lean, very athletic-looking. Still muscular, but... Very, very muscular, like, in a way that you, at the time in the 70s, you didn't see women look like. Women athletes didn't look like that. And... That really like played into the fact that her serve was insanely powerful. She's kind of the almost like a forerunner, and, and McEnroe does it too at, at the same time. Where the, the, the earliest uh, serve and volley, what 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 everybody after Mac, you know, the Beckers and the Edbergs, and later the Sampras's adapt. It's it's the big serve, the big lefty serve in Navratilova's case, followed up by just getting the player in deep, getting them to to you know kind of nudge something back. Nevertheless, comes to net and comes with it with, with a kill switch to, to end the point. That was her bread and butter. Was a serve and volley playing right. it when I when I was reading about points fast. When I was reading about this, I thought it was, I don't know if ironic's the right word, maybe it is. Uh, that you know, Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova, these very strong women that have a lot to be proud of throughout their legacy, but they don't like being compared to men. However, Chris Everett herself compared uh, her and Martina Navratilova's rivalry. To uh, is it Bjorn Borg, uh, Borg and McEnroe, Bjorn, Bjorn Borg and Bjorn Borg and McEnroe because McEnroe played like Navratilova, right? And Borg played like exactly. Everett, right? The difference is it was seven, eight years longer. Yeah, like and, and also they also they stood like Colossus astride the women's tennis. Like you, you're going through, and it's like there's 17 finals that they played. Uh, well, against each other in, in majors because I, they just they were the two best players by so much. I, I, I think it's something like in the still stuffy graph. In in, graph. in, in graph. between yep. seventy five and like eighty five. I think eighty five is when it ends. Right? Eighty four uh, graph comes six. They're eighty six, eighty seven where graph becomes the That yeah. like there was a stretch where there were like twenty straight majors where they played each other in like eighteen of them. <laughs> and like Steffi Graf was the only one that played in like the other two or something. Like they they were con- they were the only two that played against each other. To Ed's point, the McEnroe Borg rivalry cr- quickly gets kind of extinguished by the emergence of like Ivan Lendl and Mats Vlander and other players overtake them. Navratilova and Lloyd uh, Everett, excuse me, don't get overtaken really until Graf, and that's not until like 87, 88, really. And even then, they're still number two and three in 87, 88, 89. Is 87 or 86 when Graf does the golden slam? That's 88. That's 88. 88. Okay, so yep. it's, it's after the rivalry. That's when Steffi Graf was mm-hmm. searching. Right. I mean, they're still playing, but they're... They, they, they're, they're, they're literally number two and three in the right. world. Year-end, 87, 88, 89 to Graf. There I may mean, be... I mean, is it fair to say that Nala Tolova then... Because she was clearly still better. I mean... Navratilova was two, and Gra- uh, and Everett was three, but a step back. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that Navratilova was like in the stage of her career that Serena Williams is now? That's that's fair. Um, Navratilova also at the time is is still winning into the nineties. She's winning doubles 
uh, Grand Slams. Right. Um, but she's but like Serena though, she's kind of not playing the full schedule, cherry picking the majors and the year end right. uh, championships. Everett gave up the doubles. Speaking of doubles, she we did. To, I, I just because to of Navratilova. Because of yeah. Navratilova. Because <laughs> Everett and Navratilova were partners in doubles. Right. And Everett started losing to Navratilova and went, oh, I think she knows how to play me because. She- we play together so much. It's like she's too close to it. I'm she's too, too close yeah, to this. Too, she's too well, close. Yeah. And Navratilova and her split. It's also the Nancy Lieberman imp- yes, inst- sure. instinct. Um, yeah. <laughs> Navratilova and Everett, had they stayed together as double teams, they might still be winning. Like, that, that was a, uh, yeah. Uh, don't, like, they didn't show doubles, women's doubles on, on Wimbledon or anything, but, like, you just you, they'd say, oh yeah, they, these two just had won six oh six oh in the. Uh, but but let's doubles. say let's say on the doubles for a second because it is hard to imagine in men's tennis or any men's sport where rivals who were at the top of their game would voluntarily team up together. Um, that almost seems like a uniquely female athletic. Uh, part well, of part of it, sports. Is it the, that much different from what the NBA players do? Are you talking about forming like a big three? Yeah, where they say, "Look, we're, we're buddies. We all want to play together." But, but that's modern. Back then, all those guys I, I, from like, then hate that. Now like, they Le- hate that about the game today, right? Because yeah, like, well, they also but didn't like, have the like, opportunity to do it. But like, LeBron, but like LeBron and Ray Allen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade were never rivals. They were friends. They just played on different teams. Ever and Ever Tolova were rivals. D- Durant and Steph is the best example. Yes, yeah. Durant couldn't get past the Warriors. So he joined the Warriors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a cynical way of looking at it. Now, the Warriors became Durant's team when Durant was there. Um, but, but I mean, there was an example of, hey, I'll join them. I can't, you know, uh, that team that seems like a fun way to play, and I can't. We're never win- winning. And uh, I mean, and given the choice between playing with Russell Westbrook as your point guard or <laughs> Steph Curry, he said, I'll take the guy who doesn't miss 14, 17 footers a game. But I, I, to push back a little bit on that, there's a difference between a team sport and teaming yeah, up that's, and that's, an individual sport and pairing up. I think Zach, I, I take Zach's point very well. The only real prominent American or I, a prominent male tennis player in the last 40 years to have a big doubles career is, is John McEnroe. And he plays with a fairly anonymous American, Peter Fleming. He's yeah. Australian or American? I forget. I think he's Australian. But he's kind of an anonymous, non-singles presence. The Williams sisters had some success. Martina Hingis, who was the number one women's single player in the world in the late 90s, early 2000s, also won a bunch of doubles. There is something about uh, women being able to kind of uh, humble themselves to... You know, play together until the stakes between obviously Navratilova so and, and, and Everett get there's, too high. There's a great "It's Always Sunny" episode uh, where the women try to beat Boggs by drinking uh, 70 beers on a flight to Los Angeles, and it's a reboot of an episode they had done. And the rival that uh, the female character D tries to find is is Martina Navratilova. She goes, <laughs> "I need to find my Martina," and Martina Navratilova has a cameo in the episode, and then she goes, "We don't have the." We don't have the privilege of being able to hate our opponents. Me and Chrissy Everett would play together and then have dinner afterwards. We didn't hate each other. Right. And, of course, the female character spits in her face about this. <laughs> right, right. Says no, but that is, like, a, a, a truth that we see um, far— Like, how many times in women athletics, cross-country, for example, do you see the lead runner fall short of the end and then the second-place person picks them up and runs with them all the way to the end, or that UConn player that shouldn't have 
had the most points because she tore ACL. Nikisha Sales. Nikisha Sales. So they they let her score the two points to be the, which by the way is bullshit. Uh, but agreed. But like that is so. Michael Strahan uh, no, single season sack record too. Yes. Far, <laughs> that, was, far. that was bullshit. But that is that is something in female sports that you, it it is very unique and I think uh, in some ways is a very good example for what sportsmanship should be. That it's so easy for men to get into these relationships where there's like this personal animus where it becomes bigger than the sport. It becomes like, no, now I hate you. Well, well, the idea that Magic and Bird were best friends, which is always foisted upon us, not true. No, I mean, Bird did did induct Magic into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, they had a mutual respect, but they were going out for dinner. And and, but it had that had some of the same contrasts, you know. Bird was Bird's white, Magic's black. Bird's from the country, Magic's from the city. You know, um, some of those contrasts. Where we also see that with Everett oh. and Nalatolova. One's from a communist country. One's born in the United States. One is the kind of pretty and small and demure, and the other is much more athletic looking. One's one is straight. We know this because she gets keeps getting married, and one is gay. Uh, and so that those kind of contrasts played out, and it was very hard. Like you'd never heard. I didn't know they were friends until I, like I don't know. I read about it five six years ago. Like I didn't know that that wasn't something because because the audience didn't feel that way. The audience felt that Chrissy was standing up for us, and Narla Talova was the other. Other, yes, she's the Eastern European. So so let's look at the 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 actual stats of their of their rivalry. They were forty three and thirty seven against each other, which is a lot of matches. It, it and also, by the way, an impressive split. Yes, thirty St- Stafford esque in its quality. Thirty six and twenty four in all finals. <laughs> Stafford esque in that he completes forty three to his teammates and thirty seven <laughs> yes. to the opponents. Um, Hall of Famer. Uh, Dalatolova beat Everett ten five on grass, nine seven on hard courts, and twenty one fourteen indoors. While Everett beat. Now at the level eleven three on clay, that kind of makes sense. Clay it is the sl- clay is the slowest, this and is, then mm-hmm. and then grass is the second slowest. Favor, it this favors is, the. This is something I hope because I don't really understand this about tennis is the different because it's the only sport where there's different playing fields. Like in hockey, you only play on ice; you don't have to. I guess shoes. well, there, there's is, regular golf and links golf. I guess is, is the difference between is clay fast slow is indoor. Uh, indoors, gen- yes. So it's like in- it's indoor, like in- indoor hard versus indoor carpet is a bit different. But it's, it, just, it is generally fast. The yes. carpet just makes it seem like it's astroturf, much faster than clay. And the grass at Wimbledon is also actually the fat is the fastest, at least early in the Wimbledon We've, before it gets burnt out. It is like the fastest. Um, and it's it is how the ball comes off the surface. <laughs> yeah, because I was if, I was reading about Navratilova why she was better on grass was because the ball would hit and come up lower. Yes. Whereas uh, Everett on the clay would hit and it would come up higher. Mm-hmm. Everett was a, a a baseline player, like um, not unlike Rafael Nadal, who would just kind of be, be willing to stand and trade at the baseline uh, because the because the ball is coming up higher, it's coming off slower off the surface versus a, a grass right. or a fast hard court or never Navratilova, and the way she played serve and volley, big serve, big lefty serve, get to the net and just you know. And Everett, Everett was a double backhand. Exactly. Stand, stand and trade, yeah. not make mistakes. Um, kind of. Which, by the way, you, you mentioned this before that a lot of women's tennis was the double backhand, but Everett did it the best. Everett was both the first and the best. Yeah, she, and, and Borg was double hit. Was Borg 
double-handed when he started? He's, I don't think his so. Back, his backhand is incredible. It is, and I, it's, I'm almost certain it's one-handed. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems unlikely that a man, man would man do it. usually would do it one-handed. Right, but Borg but, is the weird anomaly that also was great on clay and great on grass, which is, I mean, Borg was also done by 26, so, you know, he was just a, a shooting star kind of. Which which is shocking at the time because Borg looked like he could play forever. Right. So, I mean, we talked about their doubles. Everett won 32 double titles in their career, three in the Grand Slams, two of those with Martina. Now it's a one for one, 31 major doubles titles and 177 in their career. That's insane. It's, well, it's a be staggering most, number. To people, I mean, I guess it makes sense in tennis that you're the most, if you're the best individual player, you're also going to be among the best double players. Whereas you could be a great double player and not translate. That, that wasn't really true when the Williams sisters teamed up. Well, she's a great, again, she's a great net player. She's great playing at net. And in doubles, you have somebody close to net back. And then, right. and, and, and she's she's winning at least mixed doubles in the fucking 21st century in her 50s. She's winning mixed doubles Grand Slams, Navratilova. Right. Like, that's fucking insane. And, of course, it's, the thing about Serena and Venus is they play the same. Yeah. Serena's yeah. just pitch tired. Yeah, but, versus they, you, but they play the you same. You put Everett on the back. You put, you put right, yeah, Navratilova on the net. And oh, that, it, yeah. that team would have been insane. Would have been impossible to beat. Now, I'm not sure Navratilova would have done better. She had 31 women's titles. I mean, it's like. Well, How do you get better than that? Yeah, I mean, majors. And so, you know, we see that, but I think that the statistics make it seem closer than it was to experience for about an eight-year period where Nalatilova just seemed significantly better than Everett. That Everett could beat her in clay, but of course you never saw the clay matches cause, because they're in France I, and it's... Well, I, w- I was reading because she ever had talked about this, and she said basically when they started playing, uh, Martina was the stronger more athletic of the two of them, but Chrissy Everett was stronger mentally. So basically, like, she would be able to beat her on the court once Martina lost her temper or started getting upset, started, like, being being contentious with the judges, that that was when Chrissy Everett won, and that was also when Martina was young. The second Martina stopped that, it's really, it switches. All yeah. of a sudden, Martina starts dominating. The run that Navratilova goes on from 82 to 86 is maybe the greatest it's maybe the greatest five year it's one of the great five year runs across any sport male female individual team it's absurd and every year Everett is the year end number two Everett what is, in Grand Slams it's 10-4 Grand Slam finals it's 10-4 Martina to Everett is that correct uh, I mean, it's 10-4 it's 10-4-9-5 in, in Grand Slam finals yeah. Yes, I believe so. They, she won. She won. She won the two of the three of the first four and two of the last three. But she didn't win anything in between. I believe she makes that hay that difference in those five years and every one of those seasons. Everett is the year end number two player. She's winning any major that Martina f- falls off in early. She wins. It's really the separation that those two had from the field. I mean, completely unprecedented. I think. Even Federer and Nadal. I mean, Djokovic came along eventually. Andy Murray came along eventually. And if you want to say it was perhaps the distance between one and two, the distance between two and three, the difference between one and two from everybody else was, um, I mean, yeah. ramble here. It was like just, the, it was, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It was like the Yankees payroll compared against the rest of the major leagues for a long time. But besides the Red Sox, who were back pretty close to them by 2002. So Yeah, so for the first 80 years of the Yankees' existence. Uh, the, um, <laughs> so sure. 
Um, <laughs> it also happens at an interesting point in the history of tennis and the history of especially women's tennis. Because in 1970, Billie Jean King gets eight other women uh, together to form the we called the original nine to form uh, the women the Virginia Slims tour. Weirdly enough, cigarettes pro- uh, promoted women's tennis because it was the seventies. Um, you ever and- have a Virginia Slim? <laughs> I can't say that I have. I've had no. one. It's like smoking a pixie stick, an ultralight hundred <laughs> menthol Virginia Slim. So, I mean, it starts with, because the women are making nothing. And Billie Jean King, who is, could easily be the subject of her profile, is one of the most important women athletes who ever lived. Uh, in terms of wrestling control away from the traditional male sponsors and creating her own way. So the Virginia Slims tournaments takes off. There is no such thing in the men's tournament. It's just kind of the old old group. And now they have this. Um, Margaret, was it Margaret? Uh, there was somebody that talked about being 18 or 19 and being invited to this meeting and going in and realizing, oh, my God, I'm going to be considered one of these people. It was Tracy but, Austin. Tra- no, no, it wasn't Tracy, it was Austin, Tracy Austin. But, but it was uh-huh. King was just, you didn't say no to her. And so... 75 women's tennis is starting to really pick up. Everett's on the tour, fairly well known. She's already really good. And this is the golden age of tennis because you've got, you know, the end of Billie Jean King's career. You've got the beginning of this rivalry. You've still got Margaret Court. You've got the crazy uh, battle of the sexes with um, Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. And on the men's side, you've got Connor. And you've got Borg, and then McEnroe comes in. Vilas, Nastasi, Nastasi, and you've got you've got some of the right. You've got some of the the greatest tennis players who ever lived all playing at the same time. And I remember, like twelve years after this, Sports Illustrated running an article, uh, a cover story. What happened to tennis? And there's a picture of Jim Courier reading a book between set between sets because. The non-majors had become so common, that they didn't care. Like, and they were getting, and they were getting appearance money. So they'd show up, they take their appearance money, they take their sponsors' money, and the the product really suffered. But that's not true in the seventies. And at the time, there was all these articles about tennis replacing golf as the number one leisure sport in the country, which did not happen. It's a really hot TV property, and it's... I mean, just think about breakfast at Wimbledon. That was a fucking thing. That was huge. And it's it's a, it's a Saturday and a Sunday morning around the 4th of July where NBC is doing big numbers with live tennis from England. Again, at like preempting Meet the Press for, again, I, Everett, Navratilova, Connors, McEnroe, Borg. I, I, remember, I remember getting up, the man we didn't mention, I remember getting up early to watch Arthur Ashe play in the finals against Connors, right? That was a, was it Connors, Ash or Borg, Ash? It wasn't Borg. It was, it was Connors. Connors. It was yeah. Connors. Connors versus Ashe and becoming the first black person to ever win a major, a uh, black man to ever win a major. I think a black woman had won one. Althea, uh, Althea, Althea Gibson. Gibson yeah. yeah, right. Had won a couple majors. And then, of course, they immediately didn't allow blacks to play for a while. Hmm. Uh, Shocker. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but that Bo- that Ash-Connor match, which was a, a, like a national touchstone, huge event. And it was on, we got up, I, we got up early to watch it. it was, it started at like 8.15. 
and we were wa- we watched it, and and of course it's also like four hours. You know, it was four or five sets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. it goes five sets. It's, it's four or five hours, and it, it was your whole day. <laughs> do, uh, do we want to touch on the Chris Everett, James Connors marriage and sure. his book that he put out? <laughs> sure, because they were married. Well, they no, they weren't married. They were engaged, and then uh, kind of suddenly broke off the engagement. And James Connors wrote a book. Don't put don't don't put a show in that much respect, Jim. Jim Not James. Jim Connors. Jim, Fuck Con- him. Jim Connors writes a book, <laughs> basically saying they they didn't get married because Chris Everett had an abortion. He also he doesn't seem like a good guy. He also immediately, immediately, began dating the Playboy Playmate of the Year, Patty McGuire, because this was like. 76, yeah. 77, I was intensely aware of the Playboy Playmate of the Year race back then. And it was, you know, and Patty McGuire, uh, so, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, she she was engaged to him. She married Richard Lloyd. Uh, John Lloyd. John Lloyd. John and she Lloyd. married Greg yeah. Norman. Yes, later. Right. So now, she, in between, she marries a skier in the late 80s. Adam, yep. that she gets introduced to. By Martina. And they... Uh, the, the narrative goes that they consummated their relationship in Navratilova's uh, Aspen Lodge or whatever. Yeah, that no. Navratilova, hey, I got a place for you guys to go. Right. So, Do the um, <laughs> but uh, her word, hey, their, their words, not mine. Yeah, uh, uh, something tells me uh, Shaq and Kobe were two big rivals who teamed up. We didn't name them. They were two big rivals who teamed up. Well, they became rivals Wild when play. they got teamed up. Right. Yeah, something tells me Shaq's yeah. not giving Kobe his love Shaq. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, he could throw. They, he could give him his hotel key and wait, and Kobe could wait for the maid to enter. But uh, let's was, <laughs> well, just briefly go back to Connors here, and, and it's the juxtaposition of the sportsmanship, the the Everett Navratilova versus, and we talked about Borg and McEnroe, but McEnroe and Connors also had a very long-standing rivalry as the top two American players for the better part of like 15, 20 years. And listen, both these guys, colossal assholes. It takes a real colossal asshole to make John McEnroe out to be the good guy in any sort of right. uh, rivalry. And that's what Jimmy Connors did. I just yeah, McEnroe's like a playful asshole. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Oh, it, it, uh, especially when compared to uh, it, Connors. But it was just, it, it was a rough watch. Which, which, I, mean, it, but, I mean, which is very different than the never told over everything where no one seems to be an asshole. No, they seem to I both mean, be very pleasant women. You know what Jimmy Connors reminds me a lot of? Pete Rose. Yeah. Grinding self promoter, um, but to, but to be fair, to watch McEnroe screaming at a ball boy, unacceptable. You know, who, Connors or, did the same shit though. Yeah, no, I to know both, both of them screaming at you know the, these these judges who are making you know one hundred and thirty five dollars for the match. Um, yeah, it, it really shows the difference between like a rivalry in men's a rival Jesus rivalry in men's sports versus a rivalry in women's sports, where like the the women athlete athletes. Like, think about when Serena Williams lost her composure for eight seconds against a line judge and how they were like, how they made that story out to be. And with, that was when Naomi Osaka yeah. beat her versus like. And what was a terrible call? Yes. It was a terrible call. It was call. a terrible Absolutely. call versus like in men's sports where it's just like, oh, yeah, be an asshole. It's one of the reasons that, that <laughs> everybody was rooting for Arthur Ashe. I mean, Arthur, yeah. Arthur Ashe's win because he was a guy who was. Had been around a really long time, never won a major. I don't think maybe he had won one, um, and but a guy who carried himself with a lot of dignity, and uh, that win was and, so incredible. And that's like a big. You mentioned Courier and how you know his tennis is dying. Jim Courier was a 
a damn good player, a gentleman, whatever, but you know, fairly, I guess, quote unquote, boring, bookish, perhaps. The fact that the, the fact that the men's game was at its kind of like peak with the likes of these assholes at the top is just kind of a sad commentary on how we can see tennis. Is, but, like, but it was also a way like we 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 hate the tennis brat, but we need the tennis brat. But, but there's also and a way in which there were different styles of play going on. That that what Nalatolova and Everett brought the women's game with a very different approach to the game. Everett played nothing like Borg. I mean, uh, Connors played, uh, McEnroe played nothing like Borg or Wendell, like nothing like them. You also had guys who could just win on, like Roscoe Tanner, who would just win on his serve Surf. occasionally because he'd get everything in. He, like he'd, he'd get all his first serves in, and he's hitting the ball so much harder than everybody else. Andy, I mean, those, Andy Roddick before Andy Roddick. The, the old, right, the yeah. old wooden rackets hitting the ball 106 miles an hour, which today that ball would be going like 180. Um, you know, so let's go back a little bit. To, you know, Zach, you talked about some of the talk that we've had about them still fighting for women's tennis. I mean, they're still. I mean, Everett still occasionally does get uh, announces ESPN. Yeah. yeah, right. And Everett said recently, "We're still fighting for recognition as athletes. It carries over to life. Carries over to the workforce. This is why they go. This is why she and, and now it's all over friends." It goes back 50 years ago when there were only men athletes out there as a majority. Only men participated in sports. I think it's that stigma of women need a voice. I think we just want to be heard. We want a voice. I think that it's gotten so much better, but it's still hanging in the air, the idea that men are the still stronger sex. Male athletes are still more popular than females. Trust me, I'm not, a, it, I'm not on a vendetta against Novak. I'm horrified that he might even think that. And this is a Novak. This was Novak saying him and um, Nadal's. Rivalry. Uh, rivalry is the greatest rivalry in tennis. Right. And who was the one that someone said, you're, well, you're the best tennis player in the world? He said, Andy Murray. Andy Murray. Andy right? Murray said, I'm the best male tennis player in the I'm world. I'm the best male tennis player in the world. Serena Williams was a tennis player. And, again, recognize... The former, Mrs. The former Mr. Mandy Moore. Andy, right. No, that's Roddick. No, that's, that's Roddick. Roddick. Oh. But no, Andy oh, Murray. Poor Andy Murray. Andy Murray, an underrated gentleman in a sport that doesn't often... Even today, has many. And related to Andy the, the Canadian songbird, Anne Murray. I don't think that's true either. But, it's uh, canon now. <laughs> um, yeah, but, it's in the, yeah, it's in the I, record. I heard it on a podcast. It must be true. But anyway, you know, that this is something that still unifies them because they feel like their voices are still been stifled. And, and I want to encourage their voice. I wish they would not use it in one area. And, Zach, you were the one that brought this up to me, so I'll let you... Finish it off so with this. early in Joe Biden's administration, he pa he signed an executive order uh, that basically was a sweeping executive order um, about the inclusion of trans athletes in the sport in which they identify as their gender. Uh, trans women should be able to play women's athletes. Trans men should be able to play men's athletics. And uh, Martina Navratilova, uh, much more than Chrissy Everett, is very outspoken against this. Um, however, they both signed a letter by, um, I believe it's the Independent Women's F Foundation, which also fights against the Equality Act, the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, signed a letter basically saying that this shouldn't happen, that trans women should not be in, uh, allowed to play in uh, trans women's sports. Um, by the way, just real quick, I also want to touch on something. It was an interview I read about with Martina Navratilova and Connie Chung, where she criticized America and said uh, this, you know, both in Soviet Russia and in America, there are policies that oppress people 
and there are policies that keep people from moving forward and reduce freedoms for for the people in those countries. And Connie Chung's response to this was that she found it un-American and that she should go back to the Czech Republic. You mean the same woman that's married to uh, Maury Povich? Maury Povich. Maury Povich. That woman, yes. the, the woman that could go home and, and, and share a bed at night with a man who does DNA testing uh, <laughs> to see who the father is. Connie Chung has an issue with this. Yeah. Which, yeah. which by the way, just it goes. To, I just wanted to touch on that for a quick second before we get into the bigger issue of trans athletes. Is this is how there has never been a male athlete that has had their patriotism questioned. Eans Cantor. Supporting the rise of the, uh, against Erdogan, who Erdogan is America's one of our closest allies, is in well, Turkey. He was one of Trump's closest allies. He's, he's one of America's closest allies. Erd- er- Turkey and America are very close NATO allies. They, yeah, that's true. They have been. Um, and, and, he's and, a mo- and he's a monster. Erdogan's a monster. You know, LeBron's comments supporting China, no one says that that's unpatriotic because China is an autocratic country. Um, but however, this former communist refugee who understands what it's like to live in an oppressive society, and all of a sudden she needs to go back home. Right. There's that. Um, and she also says that the, the, the election and re-election of George W. Bush is a stain. The fact that he was elected democratically yes. is, a, is a stain even worse than the fact that he was, you know. Yeah, she, uh, said, yeah, she says so the fact that he's democratically elected makes her feel makes her ashamed. Ashamed. Yeah. yeah um, she, but, she, she's a pretty she's a pretty intense Twitter follow. But but back to the trans athletics for a second is this is where it gets tougher to talk about because do you quote unquote cancel someone for their beliefs as they evolve, or do you let them have evolving beliefs? You know, when it comes to the subject of trans athletics, trans women competing in women's sports. I don't feel like I'm an expert to talk on the subject. I don't I have no idea what trans people go through. I have no idea what it's like to feel isolated. I have no idea what it's like to be told I can't do something because people view me as something else. However, the explicit explicit exclusion of athletes and especially younger athletes because a lot of the trans athletic bills are aimed at like high schools. And colleges, these young children. Well, they can only really be enforced at the high school or public college level. They can't be enforced at the private level. There just seems to be a disconnect between the importance of Ever and Nevertolova's rivalry and prominence in women's sports and now trying to diminish another's ability to be a forerunner. Was it, and perhaps you have the name in front of you, Ed, uh, Zena Garrison, who was a uh, a trans tennis player, identified as a woman in the eighties. Doctor Renee Doctor Renee Richards was the first one that who, did this. Who, didn't she? And she didn't she work closely with Navratilova? Or weren't they? I I I don't know that person. Or, or isn't Not, she involved with this the same? That 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 Everett that, it, it, it's something it's like it's the like, athletics working group or women's which, which I believe which I believe Everett is a board member of. Yes. Right. Although Navratilova is much more sort of public with her sentiments right. on the issue. That, yeah, Ever, Everett signed it. Navratilova was public about it. And I it, think right? Everett is actually on the board of that same committee. Dr. Renee Richards had a sex change operation. I, and I think that's the correct name. And I'll, I'll, I'll check it. No, Renee Richards. Yeah, right. Okay. And um, this was the early 70s yeah. when sex change operations were brand new. And it was a big issue because while Richards 
was uh, still biologically a male, um, was a ranked player in Florida amateur circles, male circles. There was a belief that Richards would then come in and just dominate the women's tennis tour. And Richards never won because it turns out you actually have to have more skill than that. I don't, we're clearly not canceling uh, Everett and Nahuatlova. No. We were talking about them for 45 minutes. Um, we can say we disagree with this position. We can say, I mean, I'm going to say I'm disappointed in this position. The governor of Utah has just said he will veto the anti-trans bill. If you can't be more, if you can't see the world more humanely than the Republican governor of Utah, and you believe that you are a liberal bastion, uh, part of the liberal bastion like Nalatolova does, you might want to think again. Like you might want to say, well, who am I lining up with in this fight? And who am I not lining up with? Um, but because I don't, I don't, this isn't, this is another one of those things that is a solution in search of a problem that we don't have sports where a bunch of males say, oh no, I feel, uh, I identify as female and then winning the, the women's basketball title or something like that doesn't happen. And, and so I mean, mostly it's mostly this is kids who are very going through a very difficult point in their life who are picked on, who are bullied, and want to run cross-country and are being told, oh, no, you can't. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me of this weird obsession that people have uh, with trans rights and bathrooms, where it's like, oh, I might go to the bathroom and there might be a woman in there. So? Just go to the bathroom. Who gives a shit? Or, or, I yeah. might go to the bathroom, there might be a man in there. Okay, is he harassing anyone? No. Is he going oh. to the bathroom? Who gives a by, shit? By the that? way, there might be anyway. Yeah, because they yeah. may just walk in and hide in the stall. I, like, I, <laughs> I've been in bathrooms at bars where a woman walks out, and I'm like, oh, the women's room was long. Like, <laughs> I, I guess that happens. But, like, it's this weird obsession with, like, genitalia and that somehow your genitalia will give you a certain advantage over others. Like, one thing I know about trans women, um, you know, men that transition into becoming women, is that they have to take a lot of hormone pills. Yeah, and I can't imagine that's given anybody an exa- an, uh, an advantage. I am. Um, I, I I have two work colleagues who are trans, and I will acknowledge that I have evolved in my understanding of this, and I have I have bec- I have evolved in understanding that my initial reactions are some kind of Cro-Magnon um, result from being brought up being a baby boomer. Frankly, uh. Oh, but if, if we had this conversation a year ago, my views would have been – it's what I mentioned with, like, Navratilova. Like, do we get upset about what she's doing and how much context do we give that versus getting upset and not giving her the space to evolve? Because if you do read her comments over the years, they have evolved in in some fairly significant ways. Um, my, my, I wish my, she hadn't signed the letter. I wish Chrissy Everett yeah. hadn't signed the letter. I, you know, I don't really get the point of fighting again. You know, it's also something I don't, no, I, really I don't care about. My, my dad, my dad voted for Goldwater in '64 and voted for Bernie in the primaries, uh, the last two, the last two elections. So I mean, people change. People yeah, I, change. I, um, I, I think we can all agree on this. Anybody within their right mind can agree that that somebody's individual 
uh, gender identity crisis, their, their, their own, has nothing to do with wanting to dominate the sporting landscape in of which they... My guess is they got other things on their mind. <laughs> I'm right. sure that has nothing to do with any. It's yeah. but but it, but it does say something about these these two athletes and these two women that in a show that in a podcast that really makes its living picking nits uh, about things. This is all we got on them. They've been tremendous ambassadors to the sport. They've been tremendous ambassadors to female athletes. They've been. And they just these are women who have never had really any scandal attached to them. They're not, they're not. You know, Chris Everett's been married five times, but who Ray, gives a shit? Ray, yeah, no, cares. it's like it's it's like she's. I think it's Ray, but it's plus a couple engagements, a couple of broken engagements. Yeah. She's like Julia Roberts. Well, yeah, I was gonna say two uh, of them happened uh, in Vegas. So they don't John, care. John Lloyd, the skier, um, Greg Norman, Greg Norman, who she uh, kicked to the curb, right? And, good, good and, on and, her and Norman seemed to have turned her off from marriage entirely because. Right, it's been about a decade since they. Right, yeah. that, that's that's Greg Greg Norman's special gift. You just yeah. he makes you hate whatever he, he likes, um, but um, but I mean the, this this rivalry has I mean I think really does serve as the template for what we want rivalries to be. Yeah, and we're so often disappointed. This wasn't Mickelson and Tiger. This wasn't um, I can't think of any Ali or Frazier. I mean Frazier when Ali. Put the you know in his worst Parkinson moments. Put the the, the uh, lit the torch. Um, mm. Frazier said he would if he was there he'd push him into the fire, and understandably so um, after what he was put through in the mid seventies and the yeah, lead up well, to Manila and, we, and, yeah. and Ali was no no was not great. No, and, and Ali was Again, Ali was never mm-hmm. great on on people who were darker skinned than he was, mm-hmm. um, and yet these women have remain really important sports and cultural icons and we wanted to take this season to to really examine but also celebrate that rivalry and, and who they are where does it rank on the in terms of just individual uh rivalries all time not just individual sports but just across all sports just do you, where do you where would you rank it do we take into consideration how it is a rarely talked about that is it, it is, is it underrated is that it is that is a pretty forgotten under, yeah uh I would put it, we, you know, if we take that into effect, like, it's a pretty forgotten rivalry. Well, I mean, well, yeah, but tennis is tennis is inherently a, what, tennis is what the seventh biggest sport. Tennis in has become a very minor sport. Yeah, like it's my like we're boxing fans. Tennis is more minor than boxing. Yes, I would say I would put it behind Palmer Nicholas, and I would put it behind Barrera Morales. <laughs> So you're saying Barrera Morales is the greatest boxing rivalry of all time? I believe that's the greatest boxing rivalry of all time. Not Pacquiao and uh, Marquez? Okay. Well, um, maybe in, maybe Marquez Barrera. In, but yeah. Um, in terms of female rivalries, yeah. it's the most important. Absolutely. They, it's bar none. Well, it's, because Serena never really had a long term. Serena never had one. Venus never had one. Um, there There isn't really rivalries in the WNBA that we hear about that are rise to this level. Um, in women's hockey, there aren't. Women's figure skating, there isn't. Well, there's Tanya. And there's, there's Tanya and Angie <laughs> Kerrigan. That's the last great one. There's, uh, the, there's the professional aspect and the personal aspect and the fact that they were able to conduct themselves as rivals, for the most part, minus at its peak, where how, how can you blame two people at the peak of their profession kind of having some heat, which they had at that point? You know, it's, it's, it's better than Russell Chamberlain. I think it's better than Ali Frazier. I think it's I think it's on a very short list across all sports. And with that, we will say good night from the Bill Bradley Collective. 
Thank you for joining us on the Bill Bradley Collective. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe on all podcast platforms and give us a like on Facebook as well. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective. Welcome to the Bill Bradley Connect Connective? See, th- th- this is definitely going at yes. the end of the episode. This is this is after the outro. <laughs> and we'll cut it out. Uh, and Maybe. go ahead.